morning, everybody. So dreams are powerful things. When you have a dream, it helps to orient your life and give greater focus to the things that you do. When we talk about a dream, a, a dream is um, different than a vision. A, a dream is kind of a, um, a glimpse in the future. It's, it's not a clear you know, vision. A vision is something that's clear and detailed and so forth. A, a, a dream is more hazy and general but compelling nonetheless. We have different kinds of dreams. We have dreams for our lives personally, at times, some of us. Um, you may have an occupational dream, for example. My wife, Marilyn, had early in her life a dream that she was going to be a music teacher. She's one of those people, I don't know many like this, who knew from very, very early in her life that that's what she wanted to do. And so that dream, that idea of becoming a music teacher informed decisions that she made in classes that she took from all the way through high school and into college. It informed how she spent her leisure time and um, her summers and so forth. All of that driven by that kind of occupational dream. There are other kinds of dreams, of course, personal dreams. There are dreams that are um, achievement-oriented, something that I want to accomplish, you know, like running a marathon, which I never want to do. Like, that's not a dream of mine. Some of you, may that may be a, a kind of dream. But those kinds of achievement, I want to learn an instrument, I, or I want to uh, have these various experiences, or learn a language, a foreign language, whatever it might be. Um, and those kinds of dreams help orient the way that you organize your life and invest your time and your energies. Like I said, the, the dream is, is vague. It's, it's the way I describe it. It's kind of hazy. It's nonspecific. It's general in its idea. You know the dreams that you have at night, right? They're kind of these weird um, conglomerations of things that happened or in your life, people that you know, all of this stuff going on in your subconscious mind that you're not aware of that get glommed together in these weird kind of night events called dreams. It's not like that, but a dream is something where it's, you, you kind of see something out there, it's, it's not specific, but it calls you, it calls you forward. Pastor Steve, um, this may surprise you, but he loves music. He loves music. And he believes that music is a powerful thing. And he has, he carries within him this kind of dream of using music as a tool to reach people for Christ and to draw them into Christian community. And this dream of you know having great musicians who are followers of Jesus doing great music in a way that would be compelling to somebody who may not have a faith in Christ. That's a dream. 
Now that dream ended up resulting in a vision that he developed. It's a part of the dream. It's not the full dream, but it's a part of the dream of taking the music and musicians out of the church, out into the world, and to create an environment where people who are not necessarily Christ followers, who may not have a church connection and so forth, would feel comfortable in coming. And so he thought, how about a park? What if we went into a park? And what if we created in that park this kind of environment where there's great music and there are are things for children to do and there's food and people are sitting on lounge chairs and on blankets and and we're just sharing the good news of Christ through music and so on and so forth and that became Summerfest and so Summerfest was happened uh, two years ago and and it was kind of cool, and then it happened again last year, and it grew, and that was cool, and we think it's going to grow again this year. But it, was, it started with this dream about how music can touch the lives of others, and it grew into this vision called Summerfest. You see, some dreams aren't just about yourself and your own life, but some dreams go beyond that to touch the lives of others as well. That kind of dreaming is what we're talking about in this series. So, we're talking about Joseph and his dream. Joseph was 17 years old. We saw in the scripture last week, 17 years old. Think about that. At 17 years old, God lays this dream on Joseph, and he has really no idea what it means. It's this vague idea that his brothers, who are all older than him, and his parents are going to bow down to him, that somehow he's going to be in a position of leadership and authority that's going to have these folks bowing down to him. He's 17 years old. One of the things that that reminds us, it reminds me anyway, and, and I hope it will become a reminder to you, is that there is no age limit when it comes to a God-given dream. You're never too young, and you're never too old to have a God-given dream. The prophet Joel, in reflecting on this and talking about something that God laid on his heart, said these words. It's in Joel chapter 2. It says this, Then after doing all of these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will have visions. Joel was saying that when the spirit of God comes, that Male and female will be speaking of the things that God wants to do, prophecy, things that are not yet that can be, these dreams. And that old men and young men will have dreams and visions. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your age. When God's spirit is poured out, prophecies are spoken, dreams and visions are casts. 
are cast. So you're not too young and you're not too old to have a dream from God. Now, Joseph was 17, so he didn't know quite what to do with this dream that God had given him, and he shared it in ways that I'm sure had all of the vim and vigor and uh, chutzpah of a 17-year-old, and it didn't go well for his brothers. They didn't like it. If you were here last week, you'll recall, too, that Jacob, Joseph's dad, treated him, um, well, Joseph was his favorite, and he made no bones about it. And that created a jealousy among his brothers. You can kind of understand it, right? When the kid brother, when any sibling is treated differently than the others, it can create jealousies, and that's exactly what happened in Joseph's brothers. They became jealous of this younger brother. And we saw last week that jealousy is hostility because of a perceived advantage that another has. Hostility caused by a perceived advantage that another person has. It creates hostility. It's a sin. Jealousy is a sin. Proverbs 14 says that it is like a cancer in the bones. Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. And just as a cancer eats away at bone and causes the skeleton to collapse and creates all kinds of, of terrible things physically, the same is true for our soul when we have jealousy, unrepentant, unconfessed jealousy. It destroys us from within. So, we have this story now. Picking up in the 18th verse of chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And just before I read this first section, and I'm going to be reading a, a couple of chunks of uh, Genesis 37. Chunks is a theological term for piece of scripture. Um, so here's what's going on. Uh, Joseph's brothers are off several miles from home tending to the flocks. So they're out miles away tending to the flocks. And Jacob, Joseph and the boy's father, Joseph is back with his dad, and so his dad says, I want you to go out, find your brothers, find where the flocks are, find out what's going on, and then come back and report to me what's happening. And so that's where the story picks up. All right. So beginning with verse 18 of chapter 37, it says this, but they, meaning the brothers, they saw him in a distance before he reached them. They plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him one of, in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Wow. I mean, that's dark, right? 
They're at there tending their flocks. They see Joseph out in the distance. You can picture, you know, kind of a, a plains kind of thing, a desert kind of setting, very flat so you can see things for miles away. And so they see Joseph. They see that coat, that multicolored coat that just irks them. And they come up with a plan. Let's kill him. We're going to kill him. This is jealousy in full flower. That this guy's dream and his life so diminishes our lives that it is intolerable. And we have to kill him to bring some kind of relief and justice to ourselves. This is how sin works. You know, sometimes we um, forget or don't realize just how destructive to a human soul sin is. And we want to dismiss it and say, oh, it's no big deal. You know, oh, sure, there are bad sins. Murder, you know, that's a bad one. Um, Stealing, you know, I guess that's a bad one. But it doesn't usually start there, right? It starts with something else going on in the soul. It starts with things like greed and jealousy and envy that seems just, you know, normal, natural. Everybody feels them. Here's what the book of James says about the way that sin grows and develops in James chapter 1, 14 and 15, it says this, temptation comes when our own desires, who's the focus there? Me. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give way, give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We have these desires within us. And as we feed those desires, they give way to sinful acts. It starts with a desire. It starts with something within us that's focused on us. And when we allow it to continue to grow, it results in sinful acts and gives birth to death. So that's what's going on with these guys. They have been dealing with their jealousy. And in this case, it's corporate jealousy, right? So each one of them feels it, but then they're hanging out with each other. And they're, you can imagine the conversations that are going on. Like, do you believe this guy? Do you believe the way the dad talks to him and treats him compared to us? Yeah, it's terrible. He's the worst. This guy's awful. Who's this kid think? And then the dream. Did you hear the dream? I heard the dream. I can't believe the dream. Oh, yeah, we're going to bow down to him. He's the worst. He's ruining everything. And it goes on 
and on and on. And every time they get together as a group, they're sitting around, ain't it awful? And the jealousy is growing and growing. But it's innocent, right? It's just words, it's just talk. But it's fueling the flame, it's, it's feeding the sin. It's a cancer. You know these kind of conversations, right? We've all seen them. We all know that other people do them. Right? It's interesting to me. One of the interesting things in this is that when someone has a dream, particularly when it's a dream that is going to affect a broader group of people than just yourself. There are always critics and conspirators that are seeking to destroy it. Seeking to destroy the dream and, if necessary, destroy the dreamer. It's difficult to talk about dreams, for me anyway, without referencing Martin Luther King Jr., who gave the most compelling and uh, transformational speech referencing a dream. And it was a dream he described that would affect the lives of millions of people, people of color who were going to be living in this country with the full rights of everyone else. It was a dream, not a reality. And it's a beautiful dream, right? Who could oppose that dream? Well, a lot of people. Because of jealousy. By accomplishing that dream, it will somehow diminish our lives. If they get that, we get less. And that jealousy leads to a kind of conspiracy to crush the dream and if necessary, the dreamer. And so, yeah, somebody killed him. The same thing was true of Jesus. Jesus came sharing a dream, if you will, about the kingdom of God. And he said that the kingdom of God was more about grace and mercy and love than about rules and laws. And it was a powerful, compelling dream about the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom of God. Who could oppose that? But there were critics and conspirators that were threatened by that dream. Religious leaders and political leaders who saw it as a threat, and their jealousy grew as Jesus' popularity and the growth of the dream grew. And they conspired, and they sought to frustrate and to crush the dream, and ultimately, they killed the dreamer. Dreams are powerful things. A God-given dream is a powerful, 
powerful thing. And Jesus said, by the way, don't be surprised if people say all kinds of evil against you, tell lies about you because they did that to me. And so when people talk about, you know, what Christians are about and what people who go to church are about and what Christ followers are about, that is nothing about what we're about. Don't be surprised. They did the same thing to Jesus. So here they are, conspiring to kill their brother. That's the nature of sin. All right, so picking up verse 21, uh, I'll read 21 through 28, says this. When Reuben heard this, this conspiracy, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into a cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So then Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, these guys are too much, right? Like, I'm sure they could hear him screaming as they're eating. Anyway, they took him, uh, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, bombs, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So, that's who's coming now. They've got this caravan of uh, Ishmaelites. Judah said to his brothers, so Judah's another one of the brothers. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Well, this is amazing, right? So... We're going to kill him is the plan. Reuben is the hero. Let's not do that. Let's throw him in a cistern. So rather than, you know, kill him, we'll just throw him in a cistern and let him die a slow and agonizing death. But really, his plan is that then I'm going to sneak around at some point, I'm going to pull him out of the cistern, and I'm going to save him. Now, here's the problem I have with Reuben. Reuben is the oldest, okay? Of all the brothers, Reuben's, Reuben's the oldest. That means he's in charge. When Jacob, the father, is not around, Reuben is the guy in charge. 
Reuben could have said to these conspiring brothers, we can't do this. This is not right. We can't kill our brother. I know we're all angry. I know we're all... He could, have, he could have really been a hero. Instead, he was a coward. He could have spoken up, but he was possibly, he was afraid of the rejection of his brothers. Maybe he was afraid for his life. I don't know. Probably not. He was afraid of being rejected, like, you know, oh, great, so you're with him and, and so on and so forth. So he didn't want to bear that kind of, of rejection of his brothers. He's, he's not going to do that. Instead, he's going to sneak around. He's going to rescue his brother. Here's the other thing. Either he's a coward or he's got another plan. And here's the plan. He rescues Joseph. He's going to take him back and return him to Jacob. I can picture the scene. Hey, Dad. It's Joseph. Joe, tell him what happened. Right? Do you believe that, Dad? I rescued him. This is the favorite son. So now, what's Jacob going to do with these other ten sons? He's not going to be good with them, right? Who's he going to be good with? Right? So maybe that's Reuben's plan. I'm going to be winning favor with my father by rescuing this younger brother who I can't stand, but it's all about me. Judah is a mercenary. Judah is the one who says, let's not kill him. I mean, he's our flesh and blood. That would just be wrong. You know, we couldn't do that. We'll sell him into slavery, right? Wow. So, win-win. We get rid of the problem, and we get a little windfall, right? Everybody's happy. Well, I met Joseph. He's a mercenary. Interesting, right? So, here's the dreamer being, being conspired against, and everybody's looking out for their own stuff, and, and everybody's manipulating everybody else. These guys remind me of Judas. There are two theories about why Judas um, sold out Jesus. One is that Judas believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but believed that the Messiah was going to lead a military revolution to defeat the Romans and return Israel to its status as an independent great nation in the world. And the Messiah was going to lead that effort, and Jesus wasn't cooperating. And so Judas decided to get Jesus arrested in the hopes that it would lead to an uprising and start the revolution that was supposed to happen all along. So he was manipulating in that way. The other theory is he did it for the money. So either he was Reubenesque or he was a Judahite. Either way, it wasn't good. He sold out the dream and the dreamer for some personal agenda. So, moving on with the story.
Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe into the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see if it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. What a sad story. What a human story. It's a story about the nature of sin and human corruption, family dysfunction, greed and self-centeredness, hidden agendas, all of the muck that we see played out on our screens every day. Human nature has changed not one bit in 5,000 years. And it is into this muck and mess called humanity that Jesus Christ came. He came to show us a different way a way where the kingdom of God prevails, where sin is acknowledged and confessed and forgiven and repented of. A world where, led by the Holy Spirit and people seeking to follow Christ, his way, his truth, and the life he has to offer, have an opportunity to live a different kind of life than this. It was into this life that Jesus came, sharing a dream and sacrificing himself that that dream might become for us a reality. Dreams are powerful things. They orient us, they give us focused activity and energy and a big dream that affects more than just your life, a God-given dream is going to be a blessing to many. But don't be surprised when there are those who seek to destroy the dream who are going to be critics and conspirators to try to bring it down. Don't be discouraged. They did the same thing 5,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago and it continues today. Hold fast to the dream that God plants in your heart and pursue it, and people will be blessed. Knowing that when you do, the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you today and always. Amen. Have a great week.